Hi, I'm Tom, and this is Tom Talks Movies. It's been over, almost a quarter of a century since Martin Scorsese teamed up with Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci for his epic crime mob drama Casino. He's recently released The Irishman initially to a quick cinema um, theatre run, um, but now it's free. It's available for everyone to watch on Netflix. So this weekend I put in the three and a half hours required to watch The Irishman from Martin Scorsese. It comes to us in part due to the miracle of digital de-aging. The trio have reunited for another sweeping tale of crime and politics, spanning the decades as it blends the episodic adrenaline rush of Goodfellas with a rather more thoughtful sadness. The story was adapted by screenwriter Stephen Zalen from a book called I Heard You Paint Houses. The Irishman chronicles the life and times of Frank Sheeran, a Second World War veteran who turned hitman, whose story intertwines with that of notorious lorry driver's union head Jimmy Hoffa. These house painters only painted in one colour, if you know what I mean. It's based on a true story in inverted commas, but if, but like me, if you hadn't have heard of Jimmy Hoffa before, he seems to be quite an important figure in America, modern American history. We first meet Frank, that's Robert De Niro, in his 80s, feeble and looking back on his life, with his mouth turned down, uh, chin pushed up, and blue eyes staring straight ahead. Robert De Niro leads us through Frank's wild years, from the traumatic events of the war, after which whatever happens, happens, to a chance meeting with Joe Pesci's crime boss, crime boss uh, Russell Buffalino, um, and an introduction to Jimmy Hoffa who shouts a lot in the film, and it was really fun. Al Pacino's quite good at shouting. He's got really sort of rhythmic, fluid dialogue. Sounds sounds great. Um, in the film, they sort of state that Jimmy Hoffa in the 50s was as big as Elvis, and in the 60s as big as the Beatles. Um, all of this is framed within a peace mission that he's trying to achieve, um, and actually a sort of peace mission that... Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro on um, a 1975 road trip from Pennsylvania to Michigan with sort of cigarette, cigarette breaks for their wives um, and sort of the odd rear view mirror flashback to the past in which um, blood is photogenically splashed against a lot of walls and faces. Um, while Frank plays his cards quite close to the chest in the film, you, we talk, he doesn't let everything go. Um, He's surrounded by a rogues gallery of volatile characters from Pacino's charismatic superstar union leader, Jimmy Hoffa, um, who comes on like a sort of not-so-distant relative of some of his pa Pacino's past characters, um, Tony from The Godfather, sort of not-dissimilar performance. Um, and again, he's sort of fueled by outrageous self-belief, which some of uh, Tony was. Um, then he's also surrounded by um, a guy called Tony Pro, who was played by Stephen Graham. Um, Stephen Graham was the sort of scouse guy in the most recent series of Line of Duty, if that name doesn't ring any bells. Um, but he sort of plays um, sort of an angry guy and is referred to dismissively as the little guy. Vaguely dissimilar to um, Joe Pesci's character in Goodfellas, just without the jokes and humour and uh, charisma. Um... As for Pesci, he adopts an effective and much more understated performance throughout the film, um, sort of cruising in a quiet, understated mode 
through the fog of contested events and his eyes are often hidden behind sort of dark glasses he's kind of a behind the scenes kind of guy it's quite quite daunting um as the story shuffles through the decades plaudits have to be given to the editor um Thelma Shoemaker apparently she's been working with Scorsese for decades and this sort author of, was being the editor on Casino Goodfellas uh King of Comedy um a lot of the sort of films by Scorsese I've referenced in the last couple of weeks and I do reference a lot because quite frankly a lot of people would consider him sort of the goat sort of director I think um he's got a really long career filled with quality and quantity he sort of puts out a film every couple of years and it's never below par um but the plaudits do have to be given to the editor um for just making the transitions between the different different decades and transition between scenes entirely organic um the production designers and costume designers uh bob shaw sandy powell and christopher peterson ensure that each vignette has a clear sense of time and place for all its flashback flash forward trickiness the irishman rarely seems disjointed or thematically fractured it conjures a kaleidoscopic illusion of depth that only kind of starts to shatter as the pace flags a little bit in the final act that might be something to be to do with my tiredness in watching it because it's so long <laughs> um, as for the much debated regenerative facial effects basically because uh, this sort of I've mentioned the sort of main trio behind the film um, Scorsese's director but then Bob De Niro as they call him in the biz and Joe Pesci as sort of aging characters and they play these characters throughout different decades they use sort of CGI uh, technology from uh, a company called ILM um, who are really known for special effects and it's sort of a new technology where um, it's sort of performance capture but um, keeps largely their facial structure in the same place but kind of just almost blemishes it a bit sort of um, removes the wrinkles and such but what it doesn't do is uh, de-age their bodies so in the scenes when 70 um, year old Robert De Niro is expected to move like a 50 year old it the facade breaks a little bit let me put it that way I think um, you do really notice um, the age of the people involved potentially there's a particular scene outside the grocery store when he's supposed to be sort of beating someone up kicking their head in and it looks like Robert Nero's hip is about to go at any moment um, and while saying that I think actually it, it did become easier the first hour or so you're like okay this is a bit unnerving but um, throughout the film I would say I found uh, Robert De Niro's eerily weirdly blue eyes uh, more distracting than any VFX work on his face um, the rest of the cast it works really well and I think Jimmy Hoffa or Al Pacino is what works best on. Um, you see real sort of growth in the in the time period um, before and after he goes to prison, um, and it's not too noticeable. Um, the film is is good. I mean, you, you expect it to be good. It's Martin Scorsese, but I think it, I am I'm concerned about mo how most audiences are going to take it in um, with the ridiculous three hour and twenty nine minute runtime. It it does. It's bizarre because from scene to scene, from moment to moment, it does feel like it has 
kind of near perfect execution. Like you like, well, this totally makes sense. You wouldn't you wouldn't film this scene other any other way. The music choice are oh, beautiful, um, and yet you've got to be thinking there's there could probably be what at least forty minutes of footage you could cut from the from the first half, and still have the same resolution. I wouldn't. I wouldn't cut much from the second half of the film because I think that's where a lot of the emotional core of the film is, sort of when um, Frank Sheeran's daughter starts to grow up a bit and you sort of see the ramifications of his life on the people around him. I think that stuff is where the film becomes most beautiful. Um, but some of the stuff in the first half, I think, just uh, could go for a tighter cut. It, it's quite contradictory because I'm saying it's got a near-perfect execution and then you need to cut 40 minutes. Or t- um different audiences will have different perspective on that I think um, there is a weird portion of film fans out there who are maybe sort of border on pretentious and would say that if you can't dedicate three and a half hours to sitting down and watching it then you shouldn't at all um, I just said it's rubbish um, I did I did sit down and have the intention of watching it all uh, and to be honest I, I, I couldn't um, after an hour and 40 I found myself more invested in getting a good night's sleep than finishing the film and that wasn't because it was bad it was just a, a personal preference and it wasn't a reflection on the quality of the film at all um, my advice would just be to watch it in whichever way allows you to get the most from it because the runtime means you're unlikely to ever want to revisit again in the near future. Now, sort of um, moving on from talking about The Irishman, because I think um, out of all the films I've spoken about so far on this show in the last couple of weeks, I think it's probably the one um, that is the least feasible for people to watch. I think despite it being on Netflix and making it that easy for people to watch, um, I, I think the sort of mob mafia crime film um, is is quite a un- not a unique genre but something that you have to be a fan of it's not like a sort of easy watch no one just sort of pops onto Netflix and says oh, I'm going to sit down and watch this three hour film I think they'd go to sort of the new Paul Rudd TV show or something um, but Martin Scorsese is one of the sort of well, most well-known directors, and there will be people out there that make uh, a point of sitting down and watching his film in its entirety. Um, over the last couple of months, um, he's found himself facing some criticism um, based on some of his comments on modern cinema, particularly um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe that has dominated cinemas in the last ten years. Um, I'm going to tra- transition to this conversation now. I think. Um, it first came out oh, a couple of months ago when in some passing interview talking about why this film was being released on Netflix I think he sort of made a comment on um, Marvel films not not being not being cinema not being the same uh, character exploration that, explore, exploration that he's used to in the decades that he came from growing up um and it caused a sort of lot of uproar online. I think he sort of made some... The, the, the headline comment that appeared everywhere was that Marvel films are like theme park rides. And... It's... Quite frankly, I don't think it's, I don't think it's untrue. But I think it, uh, in some way, dampens the... Uh, 
level to which the Marvel Cinematic Universe has impacted the entertainment um, industry across many genres. Um, he his the criticism he faced caused him to write an opinion piece for the New York Times titled "I Said Marvel Films Aren't Cinema." Let me explain. In it, he wrote, "For me, the filmmakers I came to love and respect." my friends who started making movies around the same time I did. Cinema was about revelation, aesthetic, emotional and spiritual revelation. It was all about characters, the complexity of people and their contradictory and sometimes paradoxical natures. The way that they can hurt one another and love one another and suddenly come face to face with themselves. I mean, he's, he's, sort of, he's written it well. Um, it's, it's nicely written, it sounds good. Um, and my take on it kind of boils down to he's neither right nor wrong I just have a different opinion it he's got his um, film because film journalism is flourishing with uh, clickbait articles and dumb headlines since he sort of put out the initial interview then this follow-up in um, think piece every single interviewer has been forced into asking every artist who's associated with these films for a comment we've had responses of varying severity from many collaborators across the MCU. James Gunn took a somewhat offensive line in saying, and I'll paraphrase this one, the previous one was a direct quote. Um, many of our grandfathers thought all gangster movies were the same. Some of our grandfathers thought, thought the same of westerns. I remember a great uncle to whom I was raving about Star Wars. He responded by saying, I saw that when it was called 2001, and boy it was boring. Superheroes are simply today's gangsters, cowboys, outer space adventurers. Some superhero films are awful, some are beautiful. Like westerns and gangster movies, and before that, just movies. Not everyone will be able to appreciate them, even some geniuses. It's quite a hard line um, James Gunn's taking, and uh, I, I enjoy the point he's trying to put across, I think. Um, the the whole film industry constantly reinvents itself um, and sort of takes inspiration from different aspects. I think there's there's a I don't know if you've heard about it, but there's a sort of a new Star Wars TV show that's come out on Disney's new streaming service called The Mandalorian. And the film or the TV show I haven't seen it, but I've seen clips and these sort of might have seen the Baby Yoda meme thing that's from it. Um, and it's had a sort of big debate about how is it like a western is it just a star wars tv show is it like almost an eastern i think and that debate sort of boils down to the original star wars was uh, george lucas was inspired by kurosawa akira and his like seven samurai film and uh different samurai films in the eastern cinema um from across the 20th century um and how Boba Fett was like influenced by Clint Eastwood, who was actually originally influenced by like other people, other samurai films. Like the whole thing is such a vice versa kind of uh, influx of sharing inspiration that um, to dismiss any kind of film out of hand um, without considering the thought and effort and artistry that's gone into it is just kind of not not a very enjoyable or positive take on the on the on the industry um while james gunn sort of did take a bit of an offensive line i think many actors have just offered a more sarcastic response they know that uh, the fans probably get more wild up than um the people who are working on the films and 
uh, regardless of how wound up the films that the fans get, they'll probably uh, book their tickets well in advance of the next Marvel release, so it's not a massive deal. Um, people have said, I've read this a couple of times, where it sort of says, well, Marvel films are shown in cinemas, therefore they're cinema. Um, it's very clever, very clever indeed. Um, but as a fan of the genre, this is sort of my personal take on it here, and someone who's considered the countdown to each new Marvel film over the last 10 years is something to get through the weeks. Um, I, I think we're underselling the, the level of storytelling these films demonstrate. I think Scorsese is particularly referring to the recent sort of 2010's theatre domination. So I'm not going to call on Sam Raimi's Spider-Man sort of early 2000s or the Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy sort of late 2000s um, or Donna's Superman uh, to defend the genre. Um, I want to sort of look at some of the best Marvel films that have come out in the last couple of years and um, the ones that transcend the superhero genre the most. Um, and I'd go with um, two of the films that were released in 2014. Um, and that was Captain America the Winter Soldier, the sequel to Captain America the First Avenger, um, and then also Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I love both these films, uh, two of my genuine faves. Um, and they, because they're different, um, and they're very different, despite both having superhero leads, um, they are miles apart. Um, okay, they're both action films, so they're not miles apart. But okay, like they're, cl they're tonally, they're as far within the action genre you could be apart as they are. Um, and they do invoke different emotions, and but I do think that both of them have similarities in being beautiful, complex, endearing examinations of likeable, interesting characters. Um, I do prefer The Winter Soldier. Um, I think that film is just excellent with the characterization of like Cap and then Black Widow. I think that's the best version of the Black Widow, Scott Johansson's character we've had so far. But also like the sort of use of Samuel Jackson, Anthony Mackie's Falcon, um, the sort of villains in the film, the action set pieces, the um, I often talk about sort of films having a time to breathe for you to understand the um, tonal shifts, the um, morality issues at play, and I think this, that story in that film is about uh, Cap coming to terms with the world changing and him not changing with it, um, and it's a sort of tough position for him. So uh, I really, really love that film. Um, but to best respond to Martin Scorsese's comments, uh, I'm actually going to talk about. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, I think Winter Soldier um, is a sequel um, and cinema purists by extension might just say it's a remake, I think uh, part of Scorsese's comment, I didn't quote it, uh, for the New York Times said that um, these franchise films, even though they, they're, a sequel, he said they're a sequel by name um, but it's more just a remake in practice um, so I'm going to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy which is a fresh new take on um, uh, on a superhero film and it has a better use of music than in some of Scorsese's films in my opinion has a complete arc for numerous characters in under two and a half hours um, and that's a mean feat for anyone and to dismiss that film out of hand for its sort of emotional resonance for its um, efficient use of storytelling for its Sort of production design, set design, costume design, all that, all those things that make make a film brilliant. Um, it's just alien to me. Um, just because the MCU often does feature the same characters and has an overarching plot, 
it doesn't natively fit together as a franchise. I, th- I would say Iron Man is a franchise, Captain America is a franchise, Thor is a franchise, The Guardians of the Galaxy, they've only had two solo films, but it's becoming a franchise. There's a fourth one probably coming in the next two years. I think it was 2022 expected. Um, each of which sort of fits into its own genre and explores its characters well and happens to make a lot of money doing so. Um, it's really... Um, it's a sort of a changing time in uh, the film industry. I think earlier in the year, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out and it was a very, very kind of... Uh, meta comment on the death of the movie star I think it's not really the case anymore where um, a single actor might get you to go to a go to a film I think sort of Leo Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt the two stars of that film might still have that sort of money pulling power maybe like Robert Downey Jr but that's he's played Iron Man so he's sort of uh, part of the problem in Scorsese's eyes um, but there's Compared to the sort of uh, olden days, um, sort of pre pre two thousand and eight, uh, when Iron Man came out, I suppose um, there were more more dramas in the cinema, more art house films, more uh, more variation in in a th- local theatre, um, and that's what Scorsese is complaining about, really. Um, and I don't I don't blame him for being annoyed. I think he'll he's probably a bit hurt that his new film has to go to Netflix and people will watch it on their phones instead of on a giant screen. I think um, it's probably not an easy thing to take, but to bash um, a friend, well not a friend, a series of films that has brought um, serious sort of like happiness, enjoyment, um, and inspiration to uh, sort of a more than one generation. I think it's just dismissive and kind of ignorant. Um, so that's kind of my two cents on the whole situation. Um, I would recommend the Irishman to like sort of your art, you sort of film fan. But otherwise, it's not like a sort of must see the on. It's not like you sort of won't be able to take part in online conversation if uh, you haven't seen it. I think you'll you can survive not seeing this one. Um, Right now I'm going to say thank you for listening because I'm always very thankful that you join me. Um, and next week is going to be the final show of 2019 and uh, by extension the decade. So um, I'm going to have a busy week ahead of me trying to uh, catch up and figure out what my sort of favourite films of the entire decade were. Um, and then come to you next week with uh, probably a rundown of my favourites, some of the industry favourites, what's, what's um, peaking in the last 10 years on... Uh, Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb and then maybe sort of make a couple of predictions about um, next year's films, the next couple and maybe what kind of shifts we'll see in the film industry across the next 10 years what will be the next big genre okay, cheers, thank you, bye